Today we are continuing our series, Race Matters. It's been an uncomfortable conversation and topic for many of us. I want to show you a series of commercials. I want to show you a series of commercials that will shock you, some of you. Some of us it won't. Part of what I want you to get is that for anybody who thinks and believes that we live in what some people have called a quote-unquote post-racial society where race no longer matters, well, you judge for yourself. Hi, I'm Gary at the one and only Gary's Mattress. Now with locations in Koreatown and Little Tokyo, we are karate are chopping up prices. I just saw you. you. Even we would buy it. At Gary's Mattress, we're blowing up places! Yeah, 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 yeah. Man on horse, bring good! Poor treatment at Gary's Mattress? I'd be very surprised! We're scalping prices! If you find a mattress at a better price, I'll kick a puppy and punch a kitten just for you! Pay more for import car from me! <laughs> I'm Super Don from South Oak, Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep, and Madison, and I can save you from the import car trap. <laughs> Buy American from South Oak. With super low prices on the all-new 08 Dodge Grand Caravan, the 08 Chrysler Aspen, and the 08 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Buy American at South Oak, Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep today, and save. Curse you, Super Don! Back to present ancient Chinese pantomime, just for fun of it, Jello tonight. Back to present small Chinese Thai baby waiting for dessert, Chinese mother bling baby Jello, famous Western delicacy. Poor Chinese baby, he unable to tell if this Jello is strawberry, raspberry, jelly, orange, lemon, lime, apple, black raspberry, black jelly, or grape. Jello come in all ten flavors. Poor Chinese baby, but Chinese mother bling baby, great Western invention, spoon. Spoon was invented for eating Jello. Baby find this is great Jello, deep, dark, delicious new flavor. Chinese baby very happy. So end ancient Chinese pantomime. Is pretty good commercial, no? <laughs> ゆずき1980円。月々1980円でEモバイルどうしなら24時間通話し放題。Eモバイルにチェンジ。携帯革命。ありえない。Eモバイル。A man fills many roles in his lifetime. Provider, protector, master of the house. As a father, you have a vital role in your family's life. They depend on you to be there.
We help to make sure you can fulfill that promise because, no matter what they call you, at the end of the day, you know you're just dad. This November, the people of Tennessee will make a lot of complex decisions. But some things are as simple as black and white. One of those decisions is who Tennesseans will send to Washington to serve as senator. Harold Ford is black. Bob Corker is white. Harold Ford is a Democrat. Bob Corker is a racist who's run a campaign of racism because it's racist to oppose a Democrat. And how else can you explain that Harold Ford is black? Decent Tennesseans know that if you get up real close Listen hard and squint. You'll see that Harold Ford is right for Tennessee. Because if Harold Ford isn't right for Tennessee, you're a racist. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. The challenge is that if we're willing to be honest, this is sort of the culture and society um, that, that you and I live in. I know that some of those ads were shocking to you, um, and you're actually sitting there going, come on. Um, I think maybe for some of us, um, the reason why this topic is difficult, uh, and I'm trying, to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to articulate this in a way that's not going to miss any of you guys, so, so I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. The reason why it's hard for us to sort of wrap our brains around, I think, this and, and where we're at is, I think, I think it's hard for us to kind of, and I said this last week, hard for us to kind of reconcile the gospel of Jesus Christ with Racial reconciliation. Here's what I mean. We all know. We look at those commercials and we all feel, for most of us, there's a thing inherently inside of us that says, that's wrong. That's, that's unjust. That's evil. That's ignorant. That's so on and so forth. But the problem is, when that it comes to us going, well, so what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? And that individually in terms of our own racist attitudes and prejudices 
Because let's be real, important, real uh, honest this morning that that, for some of us, is our beginning starting point. All the way to, what, do we do? what are you doing about it in terms of, as a Christian, in this society, in this culture, in this world, as a Christian, living your life out because you're motivated by the gospel in such a way that you have something to say by your life about that. That you're not just sitting there going, I'm a Christian, I don't have any bad or wrong attitudes, so on and so forth, and I'm not a racist, so there. No, my question to all of us as a church is, is this important? What are we doing about it, individual and court belief, to address, to fight, to deal with this issue that's tearing apart our culture and our society? And if your answer to that question is, what do you mean? Then we have a problem. Then we have a problem. I can't say it any anymore. See, the reality is for many of us, I, I think this is where we are at. I'm a Christian. I'm enlightened. I'm progressive. I love Jesus. I love people of other race, other culture, other ethnicity. I don't have any hurtful, wrong attitudes. I live my life in obedience to God's word. And I'm a good citizen. I do my thing. Oh, and by the way, yes, I have some friends that are of color. If that's where we are at, and you're not at the point of going, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am going to give my life to fight, to deal with, to wrestle with, to help eradicate that in our society, in our culture. Then I'm going to say it as strong as I can. Then we are not being faithful to the gospel call. See, I'm in the exact same situation as many of you. My heart is willing, but then my life says otherwise. For me, I know that it's a lot easier to stop at the point of, well, I'm trying to do this thing relationally with folks that I know, my friends and my community and so on and so forth, knowing that that's good and that's important, but it's not enough because the larger society that we live in is being torn apart by racism, prejudice. So as I said throughout the sermon, I don't stand before you as someone who says, I get this and you all need to get your acts together. No, I'm standing here going, man, what the heck did we do? But we got to do something. See, today's message is a continuation from last Sunday because I don't think I did a very good job last Sunday. So, so I'm, I'm going to try again. Okay, I'm not going to repeat the same thing. If you're going to go, you got to just repeat the same. No, I'm not going to repeat the same thing. I, 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 you know, I bit off more than I could chew and I just sped through the most important part. What we wanted to do is we wanted to do a biblical survey from the Old to the New Testament to show you that racial reconciliation is the heart of God. Let me try this way. Let me try this way. Here's the reason why, as a Christian, there's a mandate, there is a demand, there is a gospel call. To racial reconciliation. God is about reconciliation. Let's begin there. God is about reconciliation. What do I mean? Reconciliation literally means to put things back together. 
Reconciliation literally means to right wrong relationships. From the very beginning of time, because of what sin has done in terms of perverting and corrupting all of God's creation, here's what God has been about from the get-go. God has not been about from the get-go saving your little soul, my soul, so that we can go to heaven. From the very get-go in Genesis, God launches a mission to reconciliation. That is to put things back together, N.T. Wright says, to right wrong relationships. In other words, God's plan from the very beginning of creation has been to put things back together. That is all facets of creation that has been perverted, corrupted, and marred because of sin. God has been from the very get-go about reconciliation. That is about righting wrong relationships. And listen, this is so important for us. God has been about righting wrong relationships that includes us and God. Thank God for that. But it also includes, don't you see, our relationship to each other and our relationship to the created order, all of creation. From the very get-go, God has been about reconciliation. And reconciliation from the very get-go has always had three components. You and God, us to each other, and us to creation. Are you tracking so far? So to limit reconciliation, which is what God has been about from the very get-go, and narrow it down to us and God, Him saving our souls so we can go to heaven, results in a truncated, superficial, narrow version of the gospel that is incomplete. Because the whole gospel says God has come to reconcile you to God, us to each other, and us to all of created order. So let me put it this way. See, for many of you, you've been on this journey with me. And I know it's shocking at first to hear that God, Jesus Christ, didn't die for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and go to heaven. And it's a shocking statement until I add, not just. Yeah, he did that too, so that we can go to heaven, enjoy fellowship with him. But you've been on this journey about learning about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, that is God reconciling all things. And many of you have gone from not caring about the poor, not caring about injustice, not caring about issues like, well, it's like AIDS and war and so on and so forth, not caring about those things because to you Christian life was this narrow version of you and God, to now caring about those things because you realize that there's a gospel mandate, gospel call. God is renewing and restoring all of creation. He is reconciling all things. And so realizing that, you have been motivated to say, I need to care about issues of poverty. I need to care about issues of injustice. I need to care about things like AIDS and, 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 and war and so on and so forth. And you have, you have had your heart turned around and actively, passionately involved. Do you realize that the gospel call comes and says, do you realize that in just the same way, just as you are motivated and engaged in, 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 in bringing about God's shalom, wholeness to all of creation, all facets of society, do you realize how important that part of that gospel call is then the other element of reconciliation that is your relationship with each other? That that is just as much of a justice issue. That is just as much of a reconciliation issue. That is just as important of God's 
reconciliation of all of creation plan, as is fighting for injustice, poverty, AIDS. You don't believe me? I know you don't. So you don't. Like, come on, where, where? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you from the New Testament where. But the challenge is practically, here's what this means. And there's a number of ways in which this can play out. Let me just be, because we have two more Sundays of this, and, 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 and Michael and Sandra are going to preach the next two Sundays and really flesh out what this means practically. But let me just launch us in this regard. This means that the gospel demands, the gospel entails a call, because God's about reconciliation. Of us moving beyond just passive avoidance of the issue of race and race reconciliation. Because passive avoidance, let me be strong, is just the same as disobedience to God's call to be workers' reconciliation of all things. Are you, did you hear that? So that means if you are standing there going, oh, I'm not a racist, I don't have any biases, I love everybody, I've got a few friends that are of color, so on and so forth. And you are, you are disobeying. Falling short of God's gospel. Now I know. Then immediately you're going, okay, then forget it. I, I, where do I even start? I'm not even going to try. Well, hang in there with us. Because we want to go on this journey to flesh that out. But I need you to hear this. Racial reconciliation is a vital part of God's work of reconciliation. Putting things back together. Righting wrong relationships. And it's just as important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ as God reconciling us to each, uh, us to him. It's just as important. Now, last week we began this uh, biblical survey and we began the story of the nation of Israel and Abraham and God launching this mission. NTRI calls it the ultimate restoration project to restore all facets of creation. And God begins this process by choosing and calling one man, Abraham, and from him, the nation of Israel. Bible quiz, how did the nation of Israel do? Not so well. Why? Here was Israel's mission statement, and you need to pay attention to this because it applies to us. The nation of Israel essentially called and chosen by God to reflect in their national life what restored humanity was supposed to look like. The nation of Israel in their relationship with God and their relationship with each other was to display reconciliation of creation. That was their mandate. They were to display to the nations around them the goodness and grace of God and share the goodness and grace of God so that other nations could come to believe in this God, one God, Yahweh, and have a restored relationship with Him and have their national life ordered by the command to love their neighbors as themselves. Simply put, the nation of Israel was to embody and display to the surrounding nations, hey, so that's what God is out to do. That, that's what God's out to do. But as we saw last week, they failed. Why? Very important. And I'm surprised that I didn't get any emails from some people going, you hate this country. I don't hate this country. I like this country. My parents came here to give the children opportunities. I appreciate lots of this country. I call myself a Korean American for a reason. I don't just go, I'm Korean, Korean. <laughs> but here's the problem. The nation of Israel thought of their election by God as a result of what? Their ethnicity. 
They literally believe God chose us because of our ethnicity, because we're Jewish, we're Jews. And it resulted in racism, ethnocentrism, and superiority complex. And I said, any country that thinks that God has chosen it, blessed it, favors it, because of its... Think about this. Do you know how screwed up it is for people in this country to go, well, that's because we believe in the word. That's because we were a praying nation. That's because we built our lives on biblical principles. Do you know what that is? That is the ultimate picture of religion. Because we do X, Y, and Z, God chooses us. That is antithetical to the gospel that says, I choose you simply out of grace. Not anything. But we prayed a lot. And, but we read the word a lot. And, but we do a lot of good. And, what does it have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, I came while you were still lost in sin? So don't tell me about how this country did all these things. Give me a break. That's religion to the core, not the gospel. So we come to the New Testament now. Now watch this. Watch watch this. Watch this. This is very important. Watch this. Here's, Here's a, okay. So here's what God does. God doesn't abandon his plan for reconciliation. God doesn't just go, well, I'm just going to wipe everything and start over. God says, no, my promise to, 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 to begin this and to finish it via Abraham and the nation of Israel will continue even though they fail miserably. In the New Testament, a descendant of who? Abraham. And his name is Jesus. Comes along. And we're going to see. Jesus essentially by his word and life says, I came to fulfill this restoration project, reconciliation of all things that God chose Abraham and his descendants for. And, get this, after Jesus, God says, I still haven't given up. I will still continue the promise I gave to Abraham, nation of Israel, completed or begun in Jesus. And the next group of people that are called to restore or display restored humanity is who? The church, you and me, that the Bible refers to as the new Israel. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, I want to show you. So we're done with the Old Testament. (laughs) We're coming to the new. I want to show you how consistent God's heart for reconciliation, reconciliation of all facets of creation is, and then we see this in the very heart of Jesus. Jesus in Mark 1.14, you guys, essentially spells out his mission statement, 1.14. Let's read this together. Ready? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. So repent and believe the good news. Listen, listen. I know this is like introductory material for some of you, but... Please hang in there if, if it is. The essential message and the heart of Jesus wasn't, I've come so that you can be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven. The essential part of his message, the gospel call is, the kingdom of God is here. What was he talking about? Jesus was essentially articulating the very mission that God started from the beginning in Genesis, which is, my mission is to usher in the kingdom, which is, my mission is to restore, to renew, to fix Every part of creation that's gone awry because of sin. That was Jesus' mission. 
The gospel call of Jesus is the kingdom of God is here. My work is to restore and renew. Yes, your relationship with God. And yes, your relationship with each other. And yes, your relationship with creation. That's my mission. And my, me coming and, 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 and ushering the kingdom of God is a preview of that very work. So the gospel call is this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus' discipleship? He says, this is what you need to do. You need to reorient your entire life according to how I am at work restoring and renewing all of creation. Let me say that once more. What is discipleship? Here's what discipleship is. It's not mental ascent to what Jesus said. It's not believing in him so that you can get to heaven. Discipleship and following Jesus is, he says, I am out to renew and restore every facet of creation. You see the work that I'm doing? He says, the gospel called us, you follow me and reorient, recenter, reprioritize your entire life and join me in the very work that I am doing. How did he display that? Look at the work. Look at his ministry. Jesus comes, and sure, he says, your sins are forgiven. Gospel call, kingdom is here. Your sins are forgiven. Yes, you can be reconciled to God once again. Then he heals the sick. Why? Here's a preview of the kingdom, that there is a coming creation, restored creation, when there will be no more sickness, no more death. He feeds the hungry. Why? Naked display of power. Look how good he is. He feeds the hungry to say, there is coming a day when there will be no more poverty, no more hunger. By the way, does that, does that excite anybody? I, I don't know about you, but just recently, my heart, I, I just go through these phases, but recently, the whole issue of global poverty is just, and my only hope on why I follow Jesus and work alongside the kingdom It's the hope that one day there will be no more hunger. No more. No more. Jesus comes and he casts out demons. Why? To display not just his power, but to say, the kingdom of God is here. And ultimate victory will come over sin, death, Satan, and evil, powers and principalities. And I will rule and reign. Okay. So, Peter, what about that whole, you know, horizontal dimension? What about the whole enmity and hostility that exists within humanity because of sin? Did Jesus say anything about that? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Syphonician woman in Matthew 15. Samaritan woman in John 4. The Samaritan man as a hero in Luke 10. The Roman centurion uh, in Matthew 8. I mean, I could go on and on and on. You can't read the Gospels without seeing Jesus doing this. I'm going to challenge the ethnic, racial, social assumptions of Israel. Those people that you're marginalizing, those people that you're oppressing, those people that you kind of, you know, feel smug and superior over, Jesus says, I'm going to challenge that. How? I'm going to not only invite them into my kingdom, but I'm going to lift them up and saying, they're going to be the first in the kingdom. What was Jesus doing? Just being a nice Christian? No! He's manifesting and modeling life in the kingdom. And Jesus said life in the kingdom is not just reorienting and changing your relationship with God, but it's reorienting and changing your social relationships, your racial relationship, your ethnic relationships, such a way that's patterns of social sin, of racism, ethnocentrism, classism, and yes, sexism will be radically reversed in the kingdom. 
Social barriers that have gone up, racial barriers that have gone up will be torn down in the kingdom. Now, here's the deal. So Jesus is essentially saying by his life and ministry, he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, you already know about racism. You know about ethnocentrism. You know about classism. You know about nationalism. You live it. You breathe it. You see it. Problem 2,000 years ago, problem today. Jesus says, here's the mission in your life, not just individually but corporately. He says, you are to reflect the kingdom. What is that? You got to show the rest of the society, rest of the world, how it is that a group of people who've been impacted by the gospel and healed of racial, ethnic, social divisions can genuinely love each other. You need to be the kind of community that the entire world will look at and go, that's impossible. Come on. How do, no, that, that, that's not possible. It doesn't happen in 2008 in America, in Chicago. Jesus says, that's precisely what you are to do. And he looks at his racist disciples and he goes, I know that you think it's just like, whoa, mind-blowing to include those Gentiles, those people that you call dogs, because you could actually come to believe that God would actually include them in the part of his plan for restoration. Jesus looked at them and says, remember that you were an outsider just like them at one time in your life. Remember that you were just as broken and just as lost. What did God do? God included you. God saved you, forgave you. And he says, life in the kingdom is you look at those people that you can't stand. You look at those people that you fear. You look at those people that you want to have nothing to do with. And you say, you extend forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Just as God came and extended mercy, grace, and forgiveness to you. Here's the challenge, though. You guys ready? The challenge is we got to read our Bibles differently. What do I mean? We read our Bibles to kind of keep us from radical obedience. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Here's what I mean. You know the story of the rich young ruler? Here's how we read that passage. When Jesus says, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. Why is it that we Christians are so quick to go, well, he didn't mean like everything. No, he's talking about the heart. He was talking about the heart motivation. You know, like you should be willing to sell everything. Who says? <laughs> I don't see Jesus with an asterisk going, you know, just make sure in your heart it wants to. He just says, sell everything you have, give to the poor. Now, if you're sitting there going, are you saying that we need to sell everything we have and give to the poor and follow him? To which I go, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. The reason why I mentioned that example is because that's how we read John 4. Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus breaks every social norm by going to this person. Jesus breaks the gender barrier. Jesus breaks the religious barrier. Jesus breaks the racial barrier. And Jesus goes out and reaches out to the Samaritan woman. You know how we read that story? Here's how we read it. We go, wow, that's just wonderful illustration of the love Jesus says we should have for people. That's just a wonderful illustration of the kind of heart motive, you know, if we ever come across people like that. Brenda Salter McNeil makes a point. By the way, anybody know Brenda Salter McNeil? You know? like she's preached on John 4 like a thousand times, I think. I think people that have heard her could like preach the sermon back to her, you know? 
But she has this wonderful point. You know what she says? She says that one of the most important parts of that is the beginning of that passage where Jesus says, or the Bible says, and he had to go through Samaria. There's a divine mandate for us. Do you know what this means? This means a radical obedience to follow. Are you? <laughs> Michael goes, take your time. Okay, I'm going to take my time, Michael. This means that following Jesus, and if you are somebody that says, I want to follow Jesus, and by the way, Peter, I come to this church because you don't sugarcoat things and you make it as hard as it actually is. Well, here it comes. Following Jesus. Radical obedience. Where do we live that? What arena do we live that? In our hearts? In our attitudes? In our motives? Jesus is literally saying, you want to know what it means to follow me? What it means to follow me is that with your body, with your life, you enact obedience. You embody obedience. And you physically pick yourself up and you go. That's what obedience is. Not just in case they come around you. Divine mandate. He had to go to Samaria. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Uh, I want to read you this story. Oh, man. I've got lots of stories today that I wanted to read. But uh, I'm going to read all of them. I love this story, you guys. This is uh, from a a recent uh, article on CNN. In Rwanda, genocide widows are weaving baskets alongside wives of war criminals and forging their own path to reconciliation and economic recovery as the court struggled to achieve justice. Do you guys know that basket weaving has been Rwanda's greatest gift and a critical community activity for hundreds of years? And these baskets now are being sold at Macy's in New York, okay? Macy's in New York. And it's actually helping economic development back in Rwanda. And it's a program called Rwanda's Path to Peace. But let me tell you about a story that recently happened over this. Twelve years after the civil war that killed as many as a million people in a hundred, million people in a hundred days, million people in a hundred days were killed. Just wrap your brains around that number. A million people in a hundred days. The Rwandan justice system is still overwhelmed and inadequate. Until recently, Rwanda's jails housed 120,000 prisoners awaiting prosecution for genocide. Some have waited for more than a decade. To speed the process, Rwanda resurrected a traditional local system of village tribunals called Gakaka. The Gakaka courts have a vast and daring experiment in community justice, and many legal observers agree that it is the country's greatest hope for a sense of closure. But some rights activists say that the Gakaka system has its own flaws. There's limited protection for witnesses. The rules of evidence and sentencing are subjective and inconsistent. The courts are concentrated in the cities, leaving some rural areas with little justice. Worst, many Gakaka judges themselves have been found to have participated in the genocide. Well, Rwanda's network of weavers is succeeding where Gakaka falls short. Reconciliation was a conscious part of the Rwanda's Path to Peace program from the beginning. Now, every weaving group in the Path to Peace program includes both Hutu and Tutsi women. Rwandan weavers typically sit in large groups sharing supplies and working together closely. Master weavers teach the craft to anyone who wants to learn. The way they make it, they have to be together. You can't be alone, explained one of the leaders. And you need to be simple for your teacher. One such teacher is Pekasi Mukamulingo, considered to be the greatest weaver in the country. Weaving saved Mukamalingo's life. 
When the war broke out in Rwanda in 1994, Mukamalingo Atutsi was in Kigali selling her baskets. When she returned to her village, she found that most of her family had been killed. The village was tense, and her Hutu neighbors were hesitant to talk to her for fear that she wanted revenge. Allied with Hutu weaver, Mukamalingo started a weaving group called Dufutanya, which means let us work together. The baskets were the best medium to get the people together, Mukamalingo said. People came out of prison for war crimes wanting to know how to participate in the basket project. In Gakaka court one day, a Hutu man was convicted of killing Mukamalingo's son. The wife of the killer was a member of the Dufutanye learning to weave. Ashamed, the woman left the group. Mukamalingo welcomed her back in. Mukamalingo welcomed back in. Wife of the man who killed her son. Mukamalingo is now designing a newest basket, a black and white football with a checkerboard pattern. The reason? It symbolizes the unity and the reconciliation of Hutus and Tutsis. That's the gospel. The world looks at that and says, impossible. There's no way. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and says, reconcile to God. Reconcile to each other. Turn your Bibles. Ephesians, skip over. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to end with this. For those of you that are sitting there saying, what does this mean? One work of reconciliation. Is it really, really, really a part of the gospel story? That God really, in Christ, accomplished not just reconciliation of us and God, but us and each other and us in creation. There are several passages in the New Testament, especially the epistles, where we can go to in order to see that indeed, from the very beginning, God's heart, essential impulse in redemption and restoration, reconciliation involve both us and God and us each other. In Ephesians chapter 2, a passage that we are so familiar with, do you know sometimes we read Bible passages that are so familiar, we just kind of read them, and we miss out on the heart of it? This is one of those passages. Somebody, scholar once said that Ephesians, not Ephesians, but the pastoral letters of Paul need to be more accurately read, you guys, as letters written to a group of churches that are actually wrestling with ethnic and racial strife and division because of a profound misunderstanding of the gospel and the kingdom. Now, Ephesians chapter 2. How many of you guys are familiar with this passage? Raise your hands, please. Participation. Okay. We are very familiar with this passage because I know when I first became a Christian, one of the first Bible passages I learned was Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not works, so that no one can boast, blah, blah, blah. To which you go, thank you, Jesus, for the reconciliation. Ephesians 2 is a larger explanation of what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Did you get that? You cannot make sense of Ephesians 2 without understanding of Ephesians 1. And here's what we find in Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 23. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, I can just read it for you, but I'll just, it's time, summary here. He says, God has demonstrated his power. How? By raising Jesus Christ from the dead. 
That's a pretty nice trick. He raises Jesus from the dead. Resurrection. He raises Jesus from the dead. And God seats Christ at the right hand of God where the Bible says he rules all the heavens and all the earth, including evil powers and principalities that are still at work that destroy us and God and destroy humanity. Paul says emphatically, God has raised Christ from the dead. He has raised him to the, uh, to the position of kingship and lordship upon which he reigns today over all, all, all powers, all principalities. Ephesians 2 is Paul's way of saying, let me show all of you how God's power is now demonstrated. Do you follow that? Let me show you, Ephesians chapter 2, how it is that we know today that Christ reigns on high. Let me show you today how it is that we know that Christ on the cross of his resurrection has overcome evil, Satan, and sin once and for all, and he rules with all power and authority today. Let me show you. And he does it in two sections. Ephesians 1 through 10 and 11 to 21. And Ephesians 1 through 10, because we don't have time, we'll just go over this. He talks about our reconciliation with God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. To which all of us go, I love that about Ephesians. That God brought us, delivered us from the grip of Satan. And, and, and for those of us that were heading towards eternal destruction, apart from life in Christ, Christ in God came to us, uh, pulled us out of the grip of Satan evil and a life of hopelessness. And he gave us new life, breathed us new life into us. Why? Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, you guys. Watch this. The rest of Ephesians is not, let me try a new section here, a new idea. Let me introduce something that's totally out. Ephesians 2, 11 to 21 is Paul going, y'all got that? How God demonstrates his power in Christ, his victory in Christ, us in God? To which the congregation says, yes, we got it. Then he goes, let me show you the other way in which God demonstrates his victory in Christ. Let me show you the other way that the world can see today that Christ has overcome evil and sin and he reigns. Let me show you the other way that people can see that Christ has defeated sin, Satan, has risen again and is alive today. Let me show you. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of man. Essentially what Paul is saying there is this. He's saying... You Jews are accustomed to using this, this mark of a covenant blessing relationship with God and how you turn that into a race label, racial label by calling people who are Gentiles dogs, unacceptable, out of plan of God, uncircumcision. That's a derogatory term. And then he says, remember, oh, oh, oh this is so important, oh, this is so important. Okay, okay, you guys. I'm just going to give you the inside away, okay? I'm just going to give you the inside away. This is bad preaching. I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to talk about, okay? Watch how from verses 12 and the rest of this passage, how Paul easily floats from reconciliation of you and God, reconciliation of you to each other, reconciliation of you and God, reconciliation of you and each other. He goes back and forth, flows in and out almost effortlessly as if to say, it's one work. Look, remember that at that time you were Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Which reconciliation is he talking about? Us and God. 
And then he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Which reconciliation is he talking about? Participation. He's talking about us to each other. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Verse 12, 13, you talk about you and God. Precisely the point. And then he goes on, verse 16. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God, through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. Which reconciliation is he talking about here? Oh, that's a trick question. It's both. Sorry. <laughs> Wonder if you're paying attention. Look at what he says. He combined. He says, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them. He's talking about how the gospel has come and reconciled you to each other. But then he doesn't stop. He says, reconciled both of each other. And then he says, what? To God through the cross. Two things. He says, listen, the gospel, it's not just about you being reconciled to God. The gospel, it's about you being reconciled to each other. It's not an add-on to the gospel. It's not, you know, kind of second-tier level of the gospel. It's not, you know, for those super spirits, he says, that is as much of gospel as you and your reconciliation to your heavenly Father. Paul says, the Satan and evil powers are at work, have been at work, destroying humanity. And I'm going to talk about this at the end if I have some time. You realize, you guys, racism, ethnocentrism, classism, nationalism, do you realize that it's a spiritual warfare issue? Can I get the charismatics in the church to say, hey, man, brother. <laughs> For the rest of us going, spiritual warfare, oh, I hate that. Doo, 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 doo. Spiritual warfare. Do you know why? Jim Wallace makes this case. I don't think I'll have time to read it. Jim Wallace makes the case. Racism, ethnocentrism, classism, nationalism is an evil spirit in the powers and principalities realm. Do you know what that means? Practical application. Let me tell you how much we don't get this. When was the last time you prayed, prayed, prayed that God would tear down walls between races and ethnicities in this country? Let me bring it home even closer. When was the last time when you prayed for this church you prayed that evil spirits, I know, doo, 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 evil spirits, Satan. When was the last time you prayed that evil spirits and Satan, that I at work in this church community, making it extremely hard for us to be united as one, making it extremely hard and difficult for us to genuinely love each other. When was the last time you got on your knees and prayed that God would tear that down in new community covenant church? Do you see how far we are from learning how to deal with this, right? This issue cannot be solved because we're socially enlightened, because we spend time together. This issue will come down when we realize that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his principalities. That I at work in your heart, my heart, in this community. Everybody say this with me. One work. One I'm watching some of you and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> say it with me. Ready? One work. Second word. 
of reconciliation. Of reconciliation. Together now, one work of reconciliation. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? One work. And if this is the gospel, that's why I put in the strongest terms. If this is the gospel, and you are fervently out there, actively engaging our culture, society, so that people can be reconciled to God. The gospel call comes and says, should you not be just as passionately engaged about reconciling people to each other? Should you and I not be just as passionately engaged and making sure... Let me put it this way. Paul says, this is how people will come to know that Christ has overcome death, sin. Could it be that the reason why the gospel is powerless, the gospel of Jesus Christ is limp, the gospel of Jesus Christ has no backbone in our culture, in our society, is because the only part of the reconciliation we have to offer is this reconciliation that says, you to God. To which our culture has lost interest and says, so what? Could it be that the only way that they will see the genuine true cross of Jesus Christ is not when they see us being reconciled to God because if that's all they see, they're seeing a stick, a long stick that people in the church have taken out and beat each other over the heads with. The only way that people will be able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness is when you and I put the horizontal beam back that says one work of reconciliation. Next week, Pastor Michael is going to blow all of us away and tell us how we do that. <laughs> and then the week after, Sandra von Opstel is going to come. And she is going to blow us away and tell us how it is that reconciliation is not just, okay, me and God, or even us to each other, but that we begin to deal with the systemic, institutional aspects of racism embedded in our culture. Um, I had a wonderful conversation last Sunday with, uh, with an African-American young lady in our church because I talked about how at the beginning point, the solution to, the, to, to overcoming racism and ethnocentrism is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And this is what I said to I said, Remember I said, you cannot embrace the essence of the gospel that says the reason why you are where you are today is Ephesians 2, 7, God's incomparable grace and kindness expressed in Jesus. Not of anything. You do. And the gospel comes along and says, how can I have a superiority attitude or I'm better than you attitude or so somehow I am more when the gospel levels the playing field and says at the foot of the cross all people all people are lost in sin and it is through the gospel that all people can be saved and then she says something really cool you know what she said she, she said I'm giving full credit she goes Pastor Peter have you thought about the other way I'm like oh, I hate it when people say that like okay what is it and she says Sure, the gospel is important to maybe white folks, Asians, or any of us, actually. 
who struggle with racism and prejudice and superior attitude because the gospel does come and humble us. But she said, you know, the other aspect of the gospel is what really gets me. She said, because the gospel says even though you are more wicked and sinful than you dare believe, you're also more accepted and more loved. And she said, Pastor Peter, for those of us people of color who live in a culture and society that has never said you are value, you are a person of worth, you are precious in God's eyes. It's the second aspect of the gospel that really hits me. Because I know that God didn't make a mistake when he created me. I just sat there, you know, and I was outside. I was like, yeah, you know, that's all right. But I went home. I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. So the gospel deeply humbles us, and yet it gives us confident joy because God says you are a person of infinite, infinite, infinite value. We're going to do communion today. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we maybe for the first time approach this incredibly holy, sacred, cherished sacrament, would you remind us today that what we're about to do isn't just about us and you, but what we're about to do is this powerful work of reconciliation that in one body, one body broken for us, in one body broken for us, you've accomplished an amazing work of reconciling us to each other. So with reverence and with awe, we come today recognizing God this amazing work that you have done this amazing work that you have done we seek you we need you God help us to be who you've called us to be communion service if you guys could come forward And the night that he was betrayed, the Bible says, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, cup representing the new covenant, his blood shed for us so that we would be reconciled in every way. Jesus said, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. May I be so bold as to ask some of you as you come this morning that if you need to spend time in repentance and confession, that you do so at the foot of the cross. Communion servers will be located in the back, up front, and on the side. Whenever you're ready, church, come. The Lord invites us. The Lord invites us. Church. 
the entire world is looking at you and me. Will they see the light of Jesus? Will they see by our lives together in this world? See one work, one work of reconciliation. One work of reconciliation. You are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon you rests the grace of God like flames of fire. Love and serve the Lord in the strength of the Spirit. May the deep peace of Christ be with you. The strong arms of God sustain you. And the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you in every way. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great, great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday.